Amen. Good morning. Welcome. God is good all the time. That's right. He is. He is. So this morning we're going to continue in our Sermon on the Mount, going through Matthew chapter 5. First service I said, you know, when I drop my Bible, it just opens up to Matthew chapter 5. <laughs> been here about three or four months. It's been rich. And I, I pray, and I was praying this morning that you would know the love of God. In fact, if I take the Sermon on the Mount and, and, and I think of what the two primary words are that stick in my mind in this sermon is love and trust. And that's what I think God is wanting to do in our hearts with him and with others. So, hey, uh, just a, a note as a church family, I'm, I'm so thankful for you, so thankful for uh, your generosity. We're coming to the end of our, our budget year. I'm, I'm excited for the years to come as we kind of continue to live out our vision to be a community being transformed by Jesus Christ. And so I just encourage you to consider uh, giving uh, Financially, I know many of you give your time and your energy as we uh, finish this year and look forward to, to next year. God is so good. He's our, our provider, and I'm, I'm so thankful for this body. Would you join me in praying? Lord, you are glorious. And this morning, there's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of things speaking to us, pulling our attention towards other things. But this morning, we want to take a little bit of time and just focus on you and your truth, and your word. And I believe, Lord, that uh, the, the things that we're going to talk about this morning have great weight and great power to affect our lives. So help us to pay attention, to listen well, and not just listen here, but see how, God, you want to apply these things in each of our lives. We ask this in your precious, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, would you mind standing in respect of God's word as we read? We're coming to the end of chapter 5, and in a lot of ways, this is the culmination of uh, the, the life of love that God has for us with others and with God himself. And so, uh, would you join me, and uh, it's on the screen, verse 43, we're going to read verses 43 for 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You may be seated. So I know that final verse is ringing in your ears, wondering what does he mean by be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect? And we're going to dive into that. But before, I just want to say, remember that the Sermon on the Mount is good news. This is the blessing of God. This is the blessing of God. How, how many of you have felt pressure to perform? Anyone felt pressure to perform? <laughs> I know some of you here are athletes, some of you are musicians, some of you are artists, some of you are dancers. Many things that you enjoy and that you love and you practice hard, you work hard for those things, but 
Um, how many of you have been paralyzed or locked up when you had an opportunity to share that gift, to share that practice and that skill, that love that you have with someone else and you got locked up and paralyzed with fear or stress? <laughs> have any of you felt that? I have felt that. I would even go so far to say that the way our world works in the bread and butter of how things work in our world is, is performance, right? And so this performance mentality is, is huge. And we feel a lot of pressure from that. I, I, I noticed, uh, I read an article a few, uh, a little while ago that said, uh, more people are dying ever before from taking selfies in dangerous places. <laughs> so people stand by the cliff and they take a picture and, 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 and you wonder why. Why does that happen? Well, I mean, people are wanting to put themselves out there. They're wanting to perform before other people. And so people are taking greater and greater risks. And now with, with social media and so many things, you feel the pressure of what other people are doing and wonder, man, maybe I need to be doing that. Maybe that's what will make me happy. And so we, we feel and we sense pressure to perform. This is just the way the world works. But I got good news. Jesus flips the script. <laughs> he invites us to a new way to live, a different way to live. That's not based on performance, but really based on being. If we look at what Jesus is presenting to us, he is addressing the human heart. And he's inviting us to see ourselves, see others, to see God through the lens of his kingdom and what God is doing in the kingdom. And I define the kingdom of God as the rule and the reign of God, the will of God and the action of God. And so God isn't somewhere far off. In fact, Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, it's a hand. It's right here, it's breaking out. And so the kingdom isn't some distant place, it's not some future place. Jesus is saying, I have brought it, it is here. I am here. And so Jesus has announced his coming and his kingdom. One day we believe that kingdom will be fully realized when Jesus reigns here on earth. But until that day, he has established his kingdom through his people, through the Holy Spirit. And so we believe that the kingdom is at hand. It is near. And so Jesus is inviting us to think differently, to not just do what the world does. He invites us to a new way of life. He invites us to the transformed of what, way of life. And he says this transformation has to do with our hearts. It has to do with who we are. And that is what he is after. In chapter 5, as we go through these particular concrete ways of living that address the heart, human heart, we learn that the transformation and what it looks like and how we can experience that blessedness of Jesus. Remember, he said our greatest purpose is to be salt and light. That's why he made us. He made us with this purpose of doing good towards others, of loving others, of bringing glory to our Father, of helping others bring glory to their Father in heaven. And so the greatest purpose is to love God and to love others. This is why we were created. This is why we find greatest fulfillment and satisfaction in life. And Jesus invites us to that kind of life because all the things that the world says will satisfy us, <laughs> that will fulfill us, actually doesn't. And we know that. Many of us, most of us have lived long enough to taste that, to know that. And so Jesus invites us to a new way of living. And this is what he says. 
if we understand our blessedness in him, if we understand that we are disciples and we are part of his kingdom, then we don't let anger destroy our relationships. Because remember, what matters most is people and God's love for people. And so then we don't let anger destroy those relationships. Rather, we settle matters, conflicts quickly. We don't let lust destroy our relationships. We view each other as image bearers of God. We see the person We see them as sisters, brothers, mothers, fathers. We don't let adultery destroy our marriages. Divorce is not God's way, but he's gracious and he gives a way out. Don't let our words destroy others. Rather, we become promise keepers. And so we're the kind of person that can say simply yes or no. We don't let our response to others, even if they harm us, even if they curse us, we respond with forgiveness. We respond with blessing. And so we go through chapter five and we look at this and the question is, is this possible? Is this kind of life possible? And remember, Jesus came for one purpose. He didn't come to condemn. He didn't come to destroy. He came to bless. (laughs) He came to save. John 17 says that Jesus came not to condemn the world, to save the world and that is good news this morning as we look at what God wants to do in our lives in our church in our world is he doesn't want to destroy he doesn't want to condemn he wants to save and so as we read this we see is this possible and the answer I think is found in verse 48 that one verse that maybe rings in our ears be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect now If we look at that verse through the lens of performance, we're in trouble. (laughs) We're in trouble if we go through all of chapter 5 and we look at the reality of our lives versus what God is offering and we would say, we would throw up our hands in discouragement. But I believe because Jesus came to save, he's helping us realize what God is making possible. He's making possible because he is with us. He is with us. He is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. Now let's understand this word perfect because we think of light of performance and we think of light of perfectionism, like we have to do things to a certain level or get to this uh, place where people think of us in a certain way. But that's not what this verse is talking about. This word perfect literally means, if you look at it carefully in the Greek, it means complete, complete, or mature. And so this is a word that has to do with who we are. Remember, Jesus didn't say do perfect. He said be perfect. He's talking about who we are and being complete. I like to say fully human, what we were designed to be, why God created us in his image, to be image bearers. So we're called to this life of completeness, of wholeness, of maturity. And I believe it's what ultimately will satisfy us, fulfill us, help us to live the blessed life that God intends for us. So it's not about doing, it's about being. And so we need to understand verse 48 to understand really all of what Jesus has talked about in all these areas of our hearts, all the way from anger and lust and our relationships and how we respond to those who hurt us. We have to understand that Jesus wants to transform our being so that we do not perform, rather we 
reflect who God is in our lives. We are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That is God's purpose. That is his intention. Now, as a young man growing up, one of the things I struggled with was figuring out my identity. And I thought it was maybe sports, and so I'd chase that. Or I thought maybe it's where I live, and I'd chase that. Or maybe I thought it was my family, and so I'd look at that. But all of those things were dry and empty until I realized that God was my father and that I had an identity in Jesus Christ and that revolutionized my heart. It revolutionized my life and that's why I'm standing here in front of you sharing the words of Jesus because I realized that I found the greatest meaning, the greatest thing in my identity in God and that's what Jesus talks about in verse 45. When he says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. You see, our identity rooted in our heavenly Father changes how we view what he wants to do in us. We're no longer performing. We're being transformed into his image, into his being. Even verse 48 points out that it's your, our Heavenly Father who is ultimately perfect. He is ultimately complete. He is the ultimate reality of what it means to be, to exist. So I have three sons and uh, it's a joy as a father. But I can tell you, and many of you fathers here uh, probably know this uh, feeling, but I can tell you it's overwhelming at times. And I remember very clearly at a point when uh, my oldest son was three, maybe two or three. Some of you have lived through those days with your kids. And I realized that I was completely failing. It was the end of the day. I was put into bed and I was exhausted. And I was thinking about that day and how I had blown it over and over with him. And I was so discouraged. And, uh, and I was going to pray with him like I do, did most of those nights in that season. And... And I just kind of cried out to God and said, God, I'm totally failing. And God is so gracious and he speaks to us in those moments. And I realized that I was trying to be the perfect father. I was trying to fulfill all of my son's needs and be everything that I could for him. And I was failing. And I realized at that moment that I could not be the kind of father that he ultimately needed. That was a huge realization and it was a huge relief because I realized I was going about my role all wrong. <laughs> I was trying to fulfill him and complete him in a way God never designed me to do. And what I realized at that moment, as God spoke to me in that moment, is that what I needed to do was point him to his heavenly father. It was in that moment that I realized that only God could complete him because I was going to mess up and I was going to mess him up. <laughs> I knew it. But I knew his heavenly father would never fail him. That he would never leave him. He would never abandon him. He would always be there for him. And so I realized at that moment my job as a father totally changed. My job was to point him to his heavenly father. So we developed a, kind of a saying, I would say. Um, and I told him, my job is, is to point you to your heavenly father. And, and I want you to love him first. And so um, he always tells me he loves me second. And I couldn't be happier about that. <laughs> I couldn't be happier about that. So what is the love 
of our Heavenly Father because that is the source of the blessed life, of fulfillment, of satisfaction. He tells us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. How is this possible? How is this possible? Well, first, I think we need to understand what he's talking about. He's talking about unconditional love. Unconditional love. Now, you look at the spectrum of all of our relationships. So think about all the relationships in your life, whether it's a parent or a child or a sibling or a coworker or someone else, maybe a neighbor. And so you think about all those relationships that you have. Now, I think Jesus is pointing out probably the most extreme relationship that we have, which is with an enemy, someone who hurts us, someone who harms us, someone who persecutes or attacks us. But in that spectrum of all of our relationships, none of them get near as close or as, as uh, uh, hard as an enemy. <laughs> but this idea is found throughout the Sermon on the Mount, this idea of love based on unconditional And so if you think about all those relationships and how you interact with them, what if we interacted with all those people not based on what they did or didn't do or what they said or didn't say, but based on this idea that God's love is possible for them in any circumstance, any situation, so that you chose to love them based on who you are, not who they were or what they did. How would that change the world? (laughs) Think about it. Unconditional love. Now, where do we learn about unconditional love? Not, not from each other, right? <laughs> not even in our homes necessarily all the time. Where do we learn about it? We learn about it from God. God is love. And he is the unconditional kind of love. We learn this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, where it says that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, so while we were enemies, while we were fighting, while we were rebelling, while we were doing everything wrong that was offensive to God, he loved us and he sent Jesus into this world to save us. Wow. That just, isn't that mind-blowing? That God loves that way? He wasn't waiting for us to clean up do the right things, say the right things. He loved us first. That's unconditional love. That's who God is. And the invitation of the Sermon on the Mount is to love the way God loves. So think about all your relationships. How would that change your marriage? How would that change your parenting? How would that change the way you go to work? To love someone, not based on what they do, but based on the love that God has for you, and that love comes from your heart towards them. That's amazing. I want to live in that kind of world. And that's what the kingdom of God is. It's, it's the love of God breaking in to our world and bringing about transformation. And he starts with us. He, he starts with us. He works with us. So is this possible? Jesus tells us what it looks like. I love that Jesus is not an abstract thinker. He's not saying, hey, everyone, have a good feeling in your heart about being nice or loving other people. He gives us concrete examples. In the Gospel of Luke, in a parallel passage to the Sermon on the Mount, he says, this is what it means. He says, do good to those who harm you. He says, bless instead of curse. He says, give to those who take from you. He says, loan without repayment. He says, do to others what you want them to do to you. Here's what he literally says. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? 
Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you, you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. And so Jesus is saying everyone loves that way, but he has a different way for us. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's making it very simple, very straightforward. He's saying this is what it looks like. It means you do good. You give of yourself even if the other person doesn't reciprocate. This is the kind of love that God has for us. So as I prayed and was thinking about this passage all week <laughs> and thinking about, okay, what does this mean? Is this possible? Um, it's a struggle because if we think about this through performance, it's impossible. But if we begin to understand what Jesus is talking about, what he wants to do in us, it is possible. And I was reminded of that possibility this week by listening to the radio. I was between appointments one day this week and, and was in the car, so I had a few minutes, and so I, I turned on the radio and Focus on the Family was on. And they were doing an interview with two people. And um, this story gripped me, and, it, and it, uh, it encouraged me as I prepared to share this message with you. Um, the two people on the program were Polly Shepherd and Anthony, Reverend Anthony, uh, who were deeply affected by a tragedy in, uh, in, Sh in Sh Charlottesville, South Carolina. In 2015, uh, there was a small group meeting in a church, and they were having a Bible study, and they were praying, and a young man walked in, sat down, and he was there for the whole Bible study. But then when they went to close in prayer, he got up, took out a gun, and started shooting. And he killed almost everyone in that room. I, I don't know the exact number. I think it was about nine were killed. But there was two, at least two, that survived. And one of them was Polly. And in this interview, you can go online and go on the Focus on the Family. Um, they talked about what it meant to be a follower of Jesus when they faced pure hatred. Because this young man wanted to start a race war. He wanted to kill in order to incite violence, incite um, hatred in our country. And Pauly talked about how the darkness and the emptiness and the despair of this young man as he shot, cold-blooded, and she looked right into his eyes and, and he didn't shoot her. And he told her to go share the story with others. But I don't think he knew what was going to happen because instead of it being... Um, Instead of it turning into a total loss by the devil, God did a miracle in Polly's heart. And he did a miracle in others' hearts, including Reverend Anthony, who was uh, a husband of a woman who was killed in the shooting. And here's what he said at the court hearing. He said, you know, I forgive you and my family forgives you, but we would like you to take this opportunity to repent. Repent. Confess, give your life to the one who matters most, Jesus Christ. So think about that. Think about the weight 
and the loss of violence and hatred. And in the face of that, God does a miracle. He does something extraordinary in these people's hearts so that instead of hatred and bitterness and anger and violence, they respond with forgiveness and love. And the most loving thing they could do was point this young man to Jesus Christ. What does this not mean? Because they talked about this in the interview as well. What Jesus is saying here in the Sermon on the Mount, I don't think is a rejection of our legal system. Jesus, if you go back last week and listen to what Bill said, he is not saying that there isn't room for justice in our legal system. Jesus said he's not abolishing the law. And so there's a place and there's a right place. We can be very thankful that we have a legal system that addresses issues like this. And so we embrace the justice of God. We embrace the justice of God that's revealed in our own government, but we also embrace the justice of God that will eventually come. We trust in that. That's what gives us the ability to forgive is we trust in God's justice. Also, this is not victimhood. This is not a passivity that leads us to be victims of abuse. Rather, this is an invitation to overcome and to freedom and how we respond to those who harm us. It's very different. Remember, Jesus said we are light and salt. Those are powerful things that have powerful properties. And so what God wants to do in our lives is he doesn't want us to be run over. He wants us to overcome evil with good. We are called overcomers. We are called to the overcoming life. And so what Satan does in this world to destroy and to cause harm, God transforms to bring about good and restoration and healing and hope. <laughs> this is the great redemptive story of God that he steps into the darkness and he brings his light, his truth, his power to bring about transformation, to bring about good. And so we're called not to be victims, but overcomers. And I think Polly and Anthony are modeling this for us today. They are showing us how to respond as Christians, how to respond as disciples, as followers of Jesus in the face of hatred, in the face of harm. And it means that we trust God. And it means that we're not gripped by bitterness and anger and unforgiveness, but we become vessels of goodness and blessing and healing to others. This is unconditional love and God makes it possible. Remember that, God makes it possible. This is not up to us. <laughs> this isn't a performance that we have to do. This is God working, making it possible in our lives. This is only found in God our Father. And so the invitation of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is ultimately to God's love. And in God's love, we find the source and the resource to be the kind of people that can love even in the face of harm and hurt. We are called to be complete, whole, just as our Father is good and complete and whole. Where do we see the illustration of this in the Bible is John 15 where it says, you are the branches, I am the vine. And so it's in that deep abiding relationship with God that the fruit of love is produced. And so if you read John 15, what that passage is really about is love. How do we love others? And, and in that passage, Jesus says, true love is one that lays down his life 
or her life for another. And so how do we do that? It's through relationship with God. When we understand that connection with God, then we become who we were meant to be. We become the kind of people that reflect what we were created for. We become life givers, blessings. We become resources of forgiveness and love and trust towards others. I'm gonna invite the, Tom to come on up to close us here. And you may be sitting there wondering, how is unconditional love possible in my life? You don't know my wife. You don't know my husband. You don't know my child. You don't know my coworker. What I do know is if I look at my own life, I see weakness, I see struggle, I see imperfection, I see a history, I, I see sin, I see failure. And I think if you're honest, you would see a lot of those things in your life. But here's what I do know. I know God sees all that. I know he sees it in me and I know he sees it in you. And I know he doesn't run away from you. I know he turns towards you and he opens his arms and he loves you. And I know that what's possible is that whatever situation you're in, whether it's in work or your home or whatever it is, that God wants to make unconditional love possible. And I think the invitation in the Sermon on the Mount throughout chapter six is going to be an invitation to trust that results in worship. That we become the kind of people that respond to life circumstances with worship. Because we know where unconditional love comes, it comes from our Father. And when we turn to Him, and we open our hearts and our lives to Him, and we surrender to His way, all of a sudden, the power and the resource and the glory and the love and everything He has becomes available to us. And so then, we realize that unconditional love is possible with our Heavenly Father. Would you close your eyes? Lord, you know, you know all things. You know the circumstances of every life here. I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that each one of us would take up our cross and follow you, Jesus, even into the hardest relationships, the most difficult of circumstances. We say, Jesus, your way is the way and the life and the truth and that your way is the way that will bring the most satisfaction, the most fulfillment to our lives. So God, fill us, help us to be salt and light, to love even those who would try to harm us. Lord, for your glory, for your name, you are good, you are glorious, and we praise you. Your name, above all other names, is worthy of our worship. Amen. May my life